We're going to be in, uh, for the most part, 1 Corinthians today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The verses will be up on the screen, and uh, we're going to talk today. I acknowledge the fact that today is also April Fool's Day. It's April Fool's Day. It's Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we're going to talk about what that means. Um, and uh, we can celebrate the resurrection, or we can be an April Fool, right? And so let's, uh, let's, let's talk about that. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read in verse 12, and then we'll end up there, as I guess is what I'm saying. So he says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ from the dead, who he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have, been, have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But, don't you love that? But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation of everything that we do as believers. There is no hope in this life or the next if Jesus Christ has not been raised. So we praise you that you have raised him from the dead, and that's where we can place our hope. Teach us that today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On February 21st this year, the well-known evangelist Billy Graham passed away at the age of 99. He preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ for over 60 years. He devoted his adult life to telling everyone a dead man raised from the dead. That there is a God, and that God bursts into this reality and does miraculous things like raise people from the dead. He preached the gospel to, according to his biography, 215 million people over 185 different countries. He met with every president since Henry Truman. And while you think that this man died and, and everyone grieved, there were a lot of people who did not like Billy Graham at all. Here are some of the articles. If you Google the death of Billy Graham, you get a sense of some of what people said. Rolling Stone had an article entitled, The Soul-Crushing Legacy of Billy Graham. The Guardian had, a, had an article named, Billy Graham was on the wrong side of history. There's an online radio site called Ask an Atheist, 
and it, it had an article entitled, Billy Graham, America's Favorite Bigot. And the article that surprised me the most was George Will. He's a, he's a um, conservative pundit. Um, he wrote in the Washington Post an article, Billy Graham was no prophet. And I don't think Billy Graham proclaimed he was a prophet, but it was a pretty critical view of, of Billy Graham. So here's a man who wholeheartedly believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was miraculously rose from the dead and preached that over for 60 years and people really hated him. Some people did. A lot of people loved him as well. Three weeks to the day later, after Billy Graham passed, Stephen Hawking passed. Stephen Hawking passed on March 14th, 2018, and he died at the age of 76 due to ALS. Stephen Hawking was considered one of the smartest people on the planet. If you Googled the smartest people on the planet, Stephen Hawking would probably show up in the top 10, if not the top first, you know, at the top of the list. He was a very brilliant man, and I'm not taken away from how smart he was. Um, He was a a famous theoretical physicist and a cosmologist, not a cosmetologist. Anyway, that's a whole different... That's a whole different realm. Anyway, he, he, he received many honors for his work in cosmology and quantum physics, and he studied black holes and the nature of space-time stuff I can't even get a hold of. He made a controversial statement in, in, in a Spanish-language newspaper with a gentleman by the name of Pablo Waranag, I don't know how to say his last name, but the journalist was from El Mundo. And Hawking said this, Before we understand science, it's natural to believe that God created the universe. But now science offers a more convincing explanation. What I mean by we should know the mind of God is we should know everything that God, we would know everything God would know if there were a God, which there isn't. I'm an atheist. Here are two men who devoted their lives to two ideas. One said, there is a God, and that God, whenever he chooses to, bursts into this reality and changes things. We call those miracles. And one of the greatest miracles he ever did was raise Jesus Christ up from the dead. And because that happened, every believer gets to rise up from the dead. There is one man who dedicated his life to that idea, and there's another man who dedicated his life to the idea that there is not a God. And that everything we see here is all there is. The natural world is all that there is. And once a person dies, that is it. We born, we live, we die, and that's all of existence. This natural world is all that there is. These two men devoted their lives to that, but they both can't be right. Do you see that? One or the other is right. They both can't be right. And so my question is here today, which one would you most relate to? Which one do you most relate to? Do you come here believing that there is a God and that God provided salvation through Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection? Or there may be someone here who says, no, I was drugged here by someone else and I really believe 
that all there is is this natural world, or if there is anything other than this world, it's not like what the Scripture says. See, today we have a rare opportunity. The last time Easter fell on April Fool's Day was 1956. And the next time it happens, it'll be 19, or 2029. The next time after that will be 2040, and then it won't happen again this century. Because of the way Easter falls and the moon and, and the Gregorian calendar and all that, it's just a very rare occurrence. And I thought, how interesting to compare, to compare the two on Resurrection Sunday. And such, it's rare, such a rare occurrence, I wanted to point it out. See, today either you are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or the Scripture says you're a fool. And that's a hard word, but that's what the Scripture says. I want to look, about, look at real close what the Bible says about fools, what the Bible says about resurrection. See, the world has a way of turning everything around. The world says the good things are evil, and all this evil stuff they say is really good stuff. The world has a way of saying this is what, 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 is, what is perverse. They say, no, that is normal. They have a way of saying that the things that the Scripture teaches, the truth of reality, they say, is foolishness. That's how the world treats things. When it comes to the resurrection, the world believes that is the biggest April Fool's that has ever been portrayed. And millions and millions of people have just been tricked. And so let's look at what Scripture has to say about that. And maybe today we can be encouraged that we are not fools. See, because we believe in the resurrection, first of all, the world thinks believers are fools. The world believes that we are nuts, that we don't engage our mind. They think that we are anti-science, which is just simply not the case. Not to brag, my daughter's here. She's in a really technical science degree, and she's a believer in Jesus Christ and, and, and proclaims him faithfully. Sorry, I had to brag on my daughter just a bit. But, but it's not, you can be a scientist and you can be a believer. They're not diametrically opposed. But the world says, no, you believe in science or you disengage your brain and you become a religious nut. And that's simply not the case. See, Scripture says this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross, and by the cross, it is the salvation that Jesus brings to the shedding of his blood, and then being risen again from that, is the power that believers have. But, but to the world, it says, that's foolishness. That's empty-headedness. For those of you who may not know Christ today, you might think that the message that Jesus died to forgive all your sins, to give you a clean slate, that nothing matters what happened beforehand. He'll accept you right where you're at. He will forgive your sins and never remember your past, present, or future sins. They're wiped clean and that you can be restored to God. You say that's just simply can't be the case. You might understand why the world might think that's nuts. The story of salvation is unbelievable, that God 
who created this world loved this world so much that when he created humans, humans immediately rebelled against him, but he loved humans so much that he had a plan to restore them. They broke fellowship, and God says, I know you broke fellowship, but I'm going to restore that, that fellowship. And so eventually sent his son, that God came and took on additional nature, being fully God, fully man. He came down and restored humanity because he died on the cross and that he shed his blood and that blood covered all our sins. And so when God looks at us, when the Father looks down at us, he sees the blood of his Son and says those people are forgiven when they've trusted in Christ. And because Jesus rose from the dead that we celebrate today, and every Sunday we celebrate that, that they have life as well. They're not forgiven, but they'll never, ever die. The body may pass, the body, the shell may rest and, and die or expire, but who we are will live on forevermore. That is, that is unbelievable. And the trade is that Jesus, Jesus Christ made on the cross. He gave us a spiritual trade. He says, I'll take all your sin. Every one of you, I'll take your sin. Takes rolling sin, your sin, and he takes it all, and he lays it upon Christ on the cross, and that sin is killed. It's put to death. And the spiritual trade he made is that while we get, he gets our sin, we get his righteousness. And while we get, he took our death, he gave us his life. That's the spiritual trade. It is unbelievable. It sounds foolish, but it's not. It's a crazy story. And so because it's crazy, Paul says we need to engage in the foolishness of preaching. Look what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 21. Since, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He's saying it's a crazy story, and what's crazier is God tells us to go out and sound like madmen, right? We are going out there, and we are saying, hey, I want you to believe that there is a God, and he loves you so much, he came into this reality and he sent his son so that you can be totally forgiven. And we can preach that. It makes no sense, but that's what he's called us to do. And Paul says in another place, when we go out and preach, and we go out and preach the message, this foolishness of preaching, he says the world is going to reject us initially. First, or 2 Corinthians, this is in 2 Corinthians 2. Let me try. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. We are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We smell like Christ, is what he says. You got the, to put it really maybe vulgar, you got the stink of Christ on you. If you're a believer, you smell like Christ. But he says, to the one, an aroma of death to death, to the aroma of Life to life, and who is adequate for these things? See, if you're a believer, you smell like Christ to everybody. That's what we should be. We should go out there, and there should be this fragrance of Christ. And to those who are other, other Christians, they come up and they say, I think I smell Christ on you. 
and you talk and you find out, hey, we, we are partners in, in, in the world. I mean, partners in this world to win this world for Christ. But to those who don't know Christ, they smell death. They smell that conviction that says, I need what they have. Because if I don't, I, I want the satisfaction they have. And if I, if I don't, I will, I'll perish. There's a guilt. There's a death stench that they smell. It's not because of us, but because of Christ convicting them. So the world thinks we're foolish. And that's a designation. That's the world standard. The world has a different way of seeing things. If I, if I had a glass of water, and it was my intention to do so, and I just plum forgot to have a glass of water half full, and I put a spoon in that, in that water, uh, the, the light refraction would make that spoon look like it's a little bent. Ideally, that's what it looks like. The light hits it, and because of, of how water and light react, it looks like the spoon's bent. Spoon isn't bent, it looks bent. And you might go through thinking that it's a bent spoon, but it's not. It looks that way because as the light passes through the water, a distortion is created. And see, the world we're living in right now has created a refraction. They say, we are living bent. We are living wrong. We don't think right. Those who are believers were broken. We're not seeing reality the way reality really is, and they, they tell us that this is not the way reality really is. But in actuality, when you look at close the world closely, it'll make you think that your faith and, and the things that you believe in, they're actually straight, and this world is trying to make us see it through a different lens. Because the world believes, the world thinks that believers are foolish. Our secular culture has set up a system that constantly teaches us, teaches our children, even our senior adults, that every one of us who, that places our trust in the name under heaven by, by which no other name could bring salvation, when we trust in Jesus Christ, that it is foolish. And we begin to look at the world they do, like they do, and, and we get convinced that, that maybe we're thinking things bent. Maybe we're not thinking things right. But when we look at Scripture, we gain a different perspective. So I wanted to look at what the Bible calls a fool. Just real quick, we're going to look at Scripture. These verses are going to come very quickly. Probably, you might be able to keep up, but they're going to be up on the screen. Maybe you just might want to write them down because God has a lot to say about the one who might be a fool. Well, again, we're talking about Resurrection Sunday, but it's also April Fool's. I'll get to the resurrection in a minute. But I'm going to run through these. And most, I won't have much explanation because they're pretty self-explanatory. Little Proverbs in Scripture that tell us what a fool is. Proverbs 1.22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? A scoffer delights themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Don't try to teach them anything. Don't confuse them with the facts. Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding, only in revealing his own mind. Proverbs 12.23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. They just spout out the things they think, whether they're wrong or not. 
I know some of us might do that as well, but it says a fool does this. Proverbs 10.23, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. And so is wisdom to a man of understanding. A fool thinks that engaging in sin is funny. They think it's sport. Look how evil I can get. Proverbs 19.1, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Some versions say deceitful in speech. The, the word perverse means twisted. They twist things when they talk. A fool twists things when they talk. Proverbs 15.5, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Proverbs 15.20, a wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. And Proverbs 17.25, a foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. A fool is someone who hates knowledge. A fool is someone who hates knowledge and understanding but proudly proclaims their ignorance. And, and a fool thinks their sin is something to laugh at and they reject the discipline of, of mother and father and it grieves the parents. But ultimately, there's this description of the fool in, in, in the Bible. It's actually there pr- twice. Psalm 14, 1. Psalm 53, 1. It says the exact same thing. It says, A fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. And God's accounting the distinguishing mark of a fool is someone who says there is no God. That is who the fool is according to Scripture. Paired with everything else that we read, we come away who says there is no someone, a fool is someone who says there is no God, I don't, uh, and, and there's no desire to know any different. I don't want to know anything else. They are wise in their own mind and they don't need any correction. But here's the good news. The Scripture says a fool can change. A fool can change. It says in, in Proverbs 8.5, O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. It's calling fools to understanding. Proverbs 13.20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So the foolish can learn wisdom. They can learn, they can learn understanding. They can learn knowledge. They can walk with wise men. Those in Scripture who say that the, the, the Scripture says wise men are those who do understand real reality. That is, there is a God and he's comes, um, He has come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. And you need to trust in Him. And if they walk with Him, they'll become wise. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, Sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19, the first part of 19. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. He's simply making the distinction between the world and us. And he, uh, those who trust in Christ. And he's saying that if you want to be wise, then by the world standard, you've got to become a fool and believe this incredibly 
crazy story and place all your faith in that. And if the world is, says, I'm wise, but there is no God, he says, in God's estimation, they are foolish. It's the way the world twists things around. The Bible makes a clear distinction between worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom. And so what makes the difference? What makes the difference? That's what we celebrate today. The difference is the resurrection. That is the difference. Back in 1 Corinthians 15 where we started, Paul makes the succinct statement in, in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do you some, some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. He's saying this, if, that what was happening in the church in Corinth is that they were saying, well, my loved one has died, but they're not ever going to raise from the dead. They're up in heaven maybe, but their bodies are just here and they're, they're going to stay here in the dirt and rot and that's it. And Paul says, well, if people don't raise up from the dead, that means Christ didn't raise up from the dead. And if Christ didn't raise from the dead, everything we believe is wrong. Everything we, be, we do is in vain. Look at all the things he says. Verse 14, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Man, literally, I'm wasting my life if Christ hasn't raised from the dead. Billy Graham, 60 years of preaching the gospel over and over again was a waste. It's in vain. Those of you who know Christ and are talking to your neighbors about Christ and trying to be witnesses to your neighbor, if Christ hasn't raised from the dead, it's in vain. Preaching, he says, is in vain if Christ hasn't raised from the dead. In verse 14, he says as well, your faith also is in vain. Your faith has no foundation. There is no reason to believe in everything else the Bible has to say if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead. If there is no resurrection, it's in vain. Your faith has no foundation. Because then that means Christ was a crazy person. Because he walked around claiming to be be God in the flesh, and that he's going to be raised from the dead. He said this over and over again in Scripture. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise from the dead. No one understood him, no matter how clear he was. He told him, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise from the dead. I am God in the flesh. And they're like, I don't know what that means. But they, they, so if he didn't raise from the dead, he's a crazy person. Someone walking around claiming to be God. Your faith has no foundation. In, in verse 15, he says that, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he has raised Christ, from, raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, if Christ didn't raise, then we are liars about God. We are not only just not understanding, but we are teaching things about God that aren't true which is even a more dangerous place to stand. That every church that's a gospel-preaching church that believes Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, they're liars if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead. Paul says in verse 16 and 17, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still 
in your sins. One of the worst things that could happen is that if Christ is not raised from the dead, our sins have not been paid for, and we are under the burden of the Old Testament. We are under the burden of sin, and there is no hope of getting out of it. That every sin we have ever committed has not been paid for. Every sin we're going to commit today, the sins in the future have not been paid for, and we are under this obligation then to try to work our way to make God love us, and and it just isn't going to work. First of all, God loves us more than He could ever love us, more than you could ever imagine. But there's no way to work off the debt It's like owing a half a billion dollars and you're working a dollar a day. You never have enough to pay off the debt. He also says in verse 19, if we we have hoped in Christ in this life only, let me go up to verse 18, sorry, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Another thing that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, another issue is that all our loved ones who have known Christ and died, they're not up in heaven enjoying eternal life. If Christ hasn't raised from the dead, those folks are just dead. There, there is, there is not, they are not in heaven. Christ has not risen from the dead. Then if Christ has not risen from the dead and didn't pay for our sins, then every believer is not in heaven, but in eternal punishment because their sins were not paid for. And he says in verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. He says, if we, if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he has not risen from the dead, we are sad, sad people people to be pitied, people to feel sorry for. We have useless preaching, useless faith. We're lying about God. We're still in our sins. There's no hope of ever seeing loved ones again. And we're flat out pitiful if there's no resurrection from the dead. But verse 20 says, but. (laughs) That's a great turn of phrase. Everything before that's canceled out because he says in verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. That's why we celebrate today. That's why we celebrate every single Sunday. We come in on Sunday because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Sunday, and so we celebrate every Sunday. We come in and say, we have a risen Savior. He's in the world today. We just sing. He is not the sign that's set up here. He is is not here in the tomb. He is risen. We celebrate that every single Sunday. That means all these things, these hypothetical issues that he talked about are now reversed. Our gospel preaching is true. There is a foundation on which we preach, and we don't preach fantasy that may improve one's life or maybe help them you know, self-help or, or turn their life around, but instead we preach the absolute truth about Jesus Christ that says He can change you from the inside out and give you eternal life and forgiveness of sins. 
that we can, be, we can be freed from sins. We're not liars about God. We're teaching the truth about God. And our sins have been paid for so that if someone just simply turns their life over to him, their sins are canceled out, wiped away, never to be remembered again. And they become a child of the one true God. And they live forever and ever in the presence of their Savior. And all this is because Jesus rose from the dead. We do have a solid foundation. On February 27, 1991, during the desert storm, there was a woman by the name of Ruth Dillow. She received the worst news of her life. She received, um, uh, uh, however they notify, they received that her son, Clayton Carpenter, private first class, had stepped on a landmine and he had died. For the next three days, she grieved. Her son is gone, and she'd never see him again. On the third day, the phone rang. And and on the other line of the phone, there was a voice that said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. (laughs) She thought it was a cruel joke at first. And then she began to realize that it was her son, She said she laughed, she cried, she rejoiced because what this hopeless situation was turned out to be one of the greatest joys of her life. She had lost her son in her heart. But then three days later, he was alive and she could enjoy him again. That's the same news Paul is telling us today. Remember, he just told the world how bleak of a situation it is if there is no resurrection, and it is bleak. If there is no resurrection from the dead, things are bleak. But then he just turns it around, and he says, but Christ has been raised. Jesus died. He really died. He didn't like somehow just pass out and was revived in the tomb. He was dead. And three days later, God brought life back into him so that life could be transferred to us who trust in him. He really physically and miraculously rose from the dead in power and authority. And so, and then he says he will come again a second time, but this time he's not coming, like Wes had said, not coming to be beat and, and pierced and mocked and spit on. He's coming as the king, the ruling king. He's going to set everything straight. He's going to do away with sin. He's going to do away with death. And he says, those who trust in him will reign with him. That's what we celebrate today. Trust in Christ today. Open your heart to him. Man, there is a God. And he is the God that scripture talks about. And he loved you so much that he sent his son to pay for your sins and bring you life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose to give us the gift of eternal life. And I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. When a person trusts in Christ, a person trusts in Christ and says, 
I will trust in Him for my salvation. I'll stop trying to be good enough. I'll stop trying to turn my life around enough. I'll stop trying to go to church enough. I'll stop doing all this, trying to get on God's good side, but instead, I'm just going to trust in Christ and His sacrifice. I'm going to put Him as King of my life. He'll sit on the throne of my life, and He'll direct me. What He says goes. When I do that, Scripture says you'll be saved. It says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, if you never trusted in Him, what a great day to place your faith in Christ. On the day we celebrate specifically the resurrection. If you've never trusted in Him, would you do that today? Heavenly Father, we come to you and ask for your your work in our hearts and our minds. I pray if there's someone here who's never trusted in you, someone who came in thinking that this resurrection, Easter church stuff is foolish, that they realize that by your standards, the fool is the one who says in their heart, there is no God. But instead, power comes from the resurrection. Life comes from the resurrection. Forgiveness comes through Christ. Salvation comes through Christ. And it's the only way which we can be restored to you. Lord, if there's a person who needs that in their life today, I pray that they would turn their life over to you and be saved. Lord, if there's a believer here who needs that encouragement to remember that they are forgiven. They have trusted in Christ and His blood is very powerful and wipes away their sin and they have life and they will never, ever perish and they'll never lose that salvation. I pray that you would encourage them and build them up in that. God, work among us now. Let your Spirit move in our hearts and minds. Help us to be willing to follow you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.